Welcome back to another edition of the Pennsylvania Prisons and Parole Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tarkowski. Today, we're going to kick off the first in a series of shows that explore the unique history, stories, and missions of each of the DOC's state correctional institutions. Each month, we'll pick two different facilities and chat with a staff member there about what makes their facility special. Today, we'll kick things off with a conversation with Superintendent's Assistant Michelle Tharp at SCI Albion to learn about how her facility in Erie County is uniquely equipped to deal with multiple feet of snow. But first, we'll visit with Deputy Superintendent at SCI Waymart, Joseph Grillo, about one of the oldest facilities in the DOC and its start as the Farview Hospital for the Criminal Insane. So before we get into the history of SCI Waymark, can we talk a bit about your history with the facility? How long have you been there and what was your path to deputy superintendent? Okay, so I started with the Department of Corrections in April of 1995 at SCI Waymark as a corrections counselor one. I eventually transitioned into unit management in around 2006. Uh, I became CCPM in 2015. Then Deputy Superintendent for Centralized Services in early 2018, or I'm sorry, late 2018. And this past August, I came over to the uh, Deputy Superintendent for Facility Management position, which I am uh, currently uh, working in. So you've been there for a while. SCI yeah. Waymart opened its doors in 1989. It was the, the first prison to open after the infamous Camp Hill riots. Do you know how did the what happened in Camp Hill influence the creation of Waymark? Yes. Well, prior to 1989, as early as in and around the late 70s, 1978, um, I have some documentation here that this was a proposed SCI as early as 1978. Uh, there was there's some proposal. There's a proposal that that I uh, came upon that uh, indicated knocking down a number of buildings that were already in, already uh, constructed and adding a number of celled uh, buildings in and around uh, these these formerly occupied areas uh, that was so tell folks who might be listening might not be familiar what was there before it became SCI Waymark it was uh, Farview State Hospital for the criminal insane that's quite uh, a that's quite a name. They don't name yeah, things like that no, anymore, do they? They use adverbs in 1912. So uh, December 1912, it opened as uh, Farvey State Hospital. Um, it housed anywhere between early 1913. There was 171 inmates here, patients here. And at its peak in 1960, there were over 1,400. And all were men- seriously mentally ill. So... Fast forward to 1978, they were looking at the at the site as a possible SCI um, that kind of bounced around through uh, through the legislature. Finally, 1989, under emergency conditions, we opened as an SCI uh, to take a lot of the inmates that were being processed out of Camp Hill uh, in order to relocate them. Um, but at that time, Farvey State Hospital was still operating in pretty much a third of the facility was still Farvey State Hospital. Two-thirds was state correctional institution at Waymark. Coexisted like that up until 1996. Um, Farvey fell under Department of Public Welfare, and SCI obviously fell under Department of Corrections. 1996, we had the merger here where the entire facility would become uh, operated under the uh, Department of Corrections as a state correctional institution. How did the facility's kind of history as a hospital 
influence the DOC's decision to place the forensic treatment unit there? Maybe back up, tell folks what the forensic treatment unit is. Forensic treatment unit is uh, for patients that are seriously mentally ill under a mental health commitment. They're committed by the court to receive uh, mental health treatment. And uh, most of the folk here are are just chronically mentally ill. Um, the, the commitment uh, permits us to give forced medication, forced psychiatric medication if needed, um, in order to maintain or improve one's mental health. So that's kind of woven into the origins of the place where it was a uh, uh, hospital for criminal for the criminally insane. So that just is part of our culture, part of who we are, and it just kind of goes with our goes with our our mission. So as you're walking in the hallways, is there anything that you see every day that's kind of like a throwback to the early 1900s that is still part of the facility? It's it's really it's I mean, the, the building, it's it's pretty much done in two different two different eras. One was the original era, which was built in, in and around. It started in around 1909, opened in 1912. And that's the older portion of the facility. We do not have uh, we don't have cells. Um, so it's pretty much an all, uh, entirely open dormitory area in the older portion of the facility. The newer portion was opened in and around the late 50s, early 1960s. Um, that's a little bit more modern, and that portion right now is what's what is the uh, forensic treatment center. That's where all the uh, uh, committed uh, patients are living. Might sound funny to ask, you know, an old hospital, and that's like Halloween time. Folks love it. That's where they go. The ghost stories and the paranormal paranormal activity. <laughs> is there anything that you know among the the Long-time staff there, or the, even the long-time inmates. Do you guys like see anything weird at night? Is there anything, yeah, there was, uh, there any was, stories that people should know? Well, there was, there was one one ward. Um, I think it was called Q Ward that was uh, pretty much abandoned for a lot of years, and the the lore of the the institution was that was the uh, that was the haunted uh, ward of of the facility where. Um, the, the worst of the worst uh, mentally ill patients would be housed. And uh, there's there's a little bit of folklore about that being haunted. But that's been that has been de- since been demolished probably around 10 years ago. So uh, with it, I guess it took all of its ghost tales. And uh, we don't we don't really have any, any more of those uh, lingering around. Do you have any um, stories of, of infamous or notorious inmates over the years that have come through Waymark? Well, in in Farview, uh, for a number of years, we had uh, George Banks, which was a local uh, um, serial or a, a mass mass murder. He he murdered, I believe, twelve or thirteen members of his own family. He was he was a patient at Farview for years and years and years. Uh, back in probably the early to mid eighties, uh, the patients would come to Farview and they would receive state minimum wage to work at Farview. So a lot of uh, a lot of uh, inmates slash patients manipulated their way too far in order to uh, get out of debt. So they would come here and they would uh, earn state minimum wage, get their bank account back up and moving, and then uh, transfer back out to the uh, state correctional institution that they came from in order to pay off debt. So that was a that was a ploy back in the uh, in the 80s for for inmates. It was it was alleged that George Banks was one of these uh, one of these patients that took advantage of that. It was a better paying job at Waymart than at other facilities. Yes. 
as you were looking through some of the old yeah. documents, was there anything that that struck you? You know, I, I you know look back at the the prices of some of the things in the old days. Like, it was in, it's it's incredible to look back at at, at uh, you know just some some of the uh, some of the things we were doing here as a farm. It was just opened and and we were just doing an incredible amount. There was fourteen hundred acres here, and we were farming probably fifty percent of that um, oats peas, potatoes, we had calves, pigs, chickens. Uh, you know, there was, there was one thing I, I once, one figure I stumbled upon that at one time we were producing enough milk for all the patients and all the staff, and we were giving away 800 gallons per week to another institution. That's how that was in the, that was in the, uh, the early seventies. We we're giving away that much milk to other institutions. We were just producing that much. Um, that just wasn't kind of that fact, long ago, like you, it you wasn't think, that I mean, long ago. Right. Yeah, and uh, it's just in, incredible amounts. Forty-seven thousand pounds of apples were processed in one year, uh, back in the like late thirties. Ten thousand pounds of onions. It was just like incredible. Looking at these figures, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you can imagine what this this facility uh, looked like back in its heyday when when farming was here, and and we were we had cattle and producing milk, and 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 uh, just kind of trying to be trying to be self sufficient. It was it was it was really impressive looking at that. So just the go back to to salaries in uh at its opening in 1912 the monthly salary for the superintendent at the time which was dr fitzsimmons was 300 dollars per month a guard a guard was getting 30 dollars per month and a guard supervisor was at 40 dollars per month so just um, a little bit of a, a little bit of perspective there so probably enough to raise a family of four right <laughs> yep 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 that was a so we know that the DOC certainly has a set of standardized policies and procedures in place that unify how facilities are run, but each prison, each facility has its own culture. Um, when I think of SCI Waymart, I think of you know, the 12 months of kindness campaign that you guys do all year long, public service campaigns. Uh, what makes SCI Waymart special in 2024? In 2024, we continue to treat the uh, the mentally ill um, we get we pretty much get the the most difficult mentally ill cases that the state has to offer, and they come here. And uh, we have a variety of units to to accommodate uh, those individuals, from our FTC to our MHU, ICU. Um, those are some internal specialized housing units. In addition to, we have a personal care unit, which takes care of the uh, the elderly population uh, from across the state. They come here, and the they go into our personal care unit, which uh, we, we have porters and uh, just uh, our CPS program and our porters just attend to these these uh, these inmates in, in a really, really uh, careful, caring and mean, meaningful way. So that's kind of puts us apart. Um, the 12 you mentioned that 12 months of kindness. That's an incredible program. We do we do a lot of community service. It's all staff volunteer time going to the community. As simple as, you know, uh, repainting uh, office space or, or we, uh, they decorate the community park in, in, in Honesdale. Uh, just little little kinds of things like that just to just to uh, foster up that community relation with the prison. I, I do have a copy of the inaugurational opening of uh, Fargo State Hospital and in, in, it was done in 1913. It was the former superintendent of the Binghamton State Hospital for the Criminal Insane in Binghamton, New York. He came here to do the dedication speech, and in woven into that dedication speak speech, he he spoke of 
just having a vision of how to treat the mentally ill. And it was providing them with access to vocational programming, providing them with uh, just daily living skills, uh, giving them hobbies, giving, uh, allowing them to to just do crafts and arts and crafts and having this recreational thing. And for 19, seems pretty progressive from exactly. For, it was really, really progressive in 1912. So, so I'm, I, the first time I read that, I'm like, Oh my goodness, like we're doing this today. And we're actually, uh, uh, finding out that, that what we are doing today, uh, is benefiting, you know, those that are mentally ill. So, um, just, uh, just, just, uh, interesting to see that, that, Transitioned right into modern era from what from what his vision was back in back in 1912 and 1913. So, so here what we do we provide a ton of therapeutic and recreational activities for the mentally ill. There there are a ton of we we have a we have a hope room in in the forensic treatment center where inmates can go and uh, you know it sounds very very progressive. There are you know they have weighted blankets. We have weighted stuffed animals. Uh, we'll do aromatherapy. We do um, just guided meditation, things like that with with, with the mentally ill. And we're, we're we're seeing the benefits of that where we we, we can use that as as a, a, a tool for for inmates, you know, just to kind of continue medication compliance and to just kind of be compliant with staff and kind of follow direction. We're using that almost like like a reward for and 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 the the patients just really, really look forward to engaging in those kinds of things. Um, we'll do on on unit bingo, on unit karaoke, uh, puzzles, uh, puzzle time, uh, just all those sorts of things just to just to have more and more interaction between between staff and, and the patients that are here and, and it and it pays dividends. And do you have a dog program at Waymark? We have a few different dog programs. So we have um we have our in-house therapy dogs. Um right now we have two adults and we just got a puppy about two weeks ago, Louie, uh, who's gonna be trained as a therapy dog just for SCI Waymart. Uh, we have an outside person coming in and training Louie. Um, and we have another dog program where we get uh, dogs from a shelter that is in the western portion of the state. And the uh, inmate dog program socializes these four dogs. We get four at a time, socializes the four dogs, provides really basic kind of commands, um, and just gets them kind of in a place to where the uh, the outside facility can can adopt them out so that they're they're assisting uh Whomever. The last batch of dogs, a few of them went to uh, families where there were hearing impaired uh, individuals, some with the elderly, just to provide assistance, uh, assistance dogs. So that program is working very, very well. So from the start of SCI Waymart as Farview State Hospital back in the early 1900s to late 80s, early 90s, becoming full on SCI Waymart. What is next in 2024 and beyond? Where is Waymart going? Uh, we, we we keep plugging away. Always willing to uh, uh, pursue specialized housing units. Uh, just kind of try try different kind of programming here, just to see what works and and uh, what what way we can benefit the uh, the department in in programming and specialized housing areas. Uh, continue to treat the mentally ill. Um, that's we want we want to be a one stop shop when it comes to treating the mentally ill. So. Um, we can we can have uh, a patient come in that's just in really really horrible shape uh, mentally, 
and just get that person right on track to where, you know, eventually our hope is to put them into our general population. Are, is the goal rehabilitation and preparing these folks for reentry? Are Some of these folks are getting out, correct? Yeah, just about all of them will be getting back out. So it's preparing them for reentry. Uh, the biggest, biggest piece of all that is is encouraging medication compliance. Make sure that they're, that they're that they're aware of the need to to stay on medication when when you know they're not they're not being watched and they're they're set to their own you know their own devices. But um, just that the medication is huge. Medical compliance is huge with these guys when they're getting back out into the community. Um, we have a team of social workers here that are just constantly pursuing leads out there in the community to uh to get uh to get these patients back back into the community and set up with resources out there with employment and housing and just uh just to get back out there and be successful before that you go can you talk about how medication works with therapy and all the other aspects that you have at SCI Waymart? How does this, is this like a holistic approach to, to mental health and, and how it all works together? The treatment team consists of everyone from corrections officers to psychiatry to our activity staff, counselors, social workers, anybody that would have any sort of interaction with, with, with the patient. Um, so everybody's on the same page. All along the way, you know, like as I said earlier, medic, med compliance is the most important aspect to mental health treatments is, is having that med compliance. So all along the way, everyone on that treatment team is encouraging that med compliance and making sure that everybody's all, all the patients are taking their medication that combines with our recreational staff when they're doing activities with them which combines with our security staff which just all along the way are encouraging that compliance encouraging them to to get healthy and to make the right decisions to do the right thing so it's uh, it's it's a holistic approach Thanks again to Deputy Superintendent Grillo. Let's jump from the northeast corner of the Commonwealth to the northwest and welcome in Superintendent's Assistant Michelle Tharp to the podcast to learn more about SCI Albion. Can you tell us what makes SCI Albion special? I would have to say the fact that we have been designated as a mental health facility. Um, we actually have two units now that are specifically designed to house these individuals. Um, one is our residential treatment unit, the RTU, and our newest unit is the NRTU, which is a neurodevelopmental residential treatment unit. Um, that unit was developed to house individuals with neurodevelopmental issues, such as those with an autism spectrum diagnosis or with an intellectual disability. Um, I know there's been a lot of interest in that as we are the first in the state to have such a unit. Yeah, I know. Kurt and I actually made the trip up uh, to the north, uh, the frigid northwest, I think last year for the NRTU when it first opened. How are things going? Um, they're going actually extremely well. Um, the inmates, you can definitely see how it is helping them um, along the way and with their programming, and they are coming along leaps and bounds. Um, like I would have to say personally, they are coming along a lot better than they would be if they were in just a regular general population housing unit, only because of the additional um, programs and stuff that they offer. And the staff, especially trained to be on that unit. Oh, too, absolutely. Correct? Yes, the staff are a huge, huge blessing down there. So, And they all do a wonderful job doing what they do, and they're all very dedicated in helping these individuals. So that makes a, a world of difference. 
And what is the RTU? The RTU is it's um, basically just it houses the mentally ill individuals. So it's it's sort of like the R N R T U, um, except it doesn't have the ad additions and the the special programmings and special cells and stuff like that as the N R T U. So they they so, still they're not a general pop unit, and they are more formulated for the mentally ill. Would you say that SEI Albion, that's kind of the facility's mission, is to house some of those folks with the more special needs? Absolutely, yes. That's what we've been designated for. So we do have quite a few inmates here with those um, diagnoses. So that is our forte, if, if that's what you want to say. <laughs> when I think of SEI Albion and, and where you guys are located in the uh, northwest part of the state, first thing that comes to my mind is that it's cold and there's a lot of snow. Has there been any, are there any good stories from uh, SEI Albion's history of uh, big snowstorms or uh, the effects of weather on your facility? Oh, the weather in the winter can be quite miserable here. Um, the most recent significant snowfall that we had was back in December of 2017, and we received approximately five feet of snow over a two-day period. So that was horrible. Um we did dig out rather quickly. However, it does make, you know, conditions a little difficult to drive in. So that's one thing I want to reiterate on that is just because we live up in here and we deal with these conditions on a unit or on the yearly basis does not mean it makes it any easier to drive in. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting that we're, especially that we're talking to you right now in this time of year, the winter time. It's funny because we're down here in South Central PA, the Mechanicsburg area, and folks, you know, we things shut down if we get a couple inches of snow and, and people always say, oh, up in Erie, they're used to it. They know how to handle the snow. But like you said, there's being used to it, but there's the physical girth of all that snow that has to be dealt with, right? There's there's no yeah. change in that no matter how you used to it you are. Nope, absolutely not. I mean, there's many times when we get a significant amount of snow overnight and, you know, our staff, most of our officers have to be here by 6 a.m., and a lot of times the plows have not even been through on the roads. So it can make driving quite hazardous, especially, I mean, we have staff that drive all the way from Ohio and New York and as far south as Mercer. So some of those trips can be quite, quite harrowing. We've talked about uh, in the past about how each facility is kind of its own little city. They have their own emergency plans, their own fire emergency response teams, the FERT teams. Does Albion have anything special when it comes to snow removal? Like, how do you guys deal with that? Because you can't call in outside uh, vendors to come and plow your yards, no. right? You guys do that all yourselves? Yes, we do it all ourselves. Our maintenance staff um, generally handles the majority of it, but we do have an inmate um, crew, and they are the inmate shovelers who will shovel, like, the inside of the facility. And then we have the outside crew and our maintenance that take care of the parking lots and the, the driveway and all of the outside um, sidewalks and things like such as that. And then so it just gets piled up, right? You, don't, you, don't, you can't, like, take it anywhere. Nope. Um, when we did get that significant amount of snow, they were actually trucking it out of here because we had nowhere else to put it. So, but yeah, the mounds around here can get pretty high, but due to security reasons, you know, we got to watch that. So if it starts getting to that extreme, we do take it, our maintenance staff again, load it into their dump trucks and they haul it off grounds. Dedicated staff at SEI Albion, just like we have all around the state. Uh, can you tell us about the 
community impact at Albion. How does your staff kind of integrate with the community up there? Albion's a very small town, mm-hmm. so we are definitely one of the largest employers in the community. Um, as a matter of fact, back when the prison was built, it was the project to build the prison um, was one of the largest uh, construction projects in Erie County history at that time. Um, I think we have a pretty large impact on the community. Um, just one for the fact that we provide many stable jobs to the area, and then of course we support all of their local businesses. Um, we also have an empowerment committee and an ACE, that's an employee organization here, that are always implementing donation drives and participating in special events to raise monies uh, for several organizations in the community. And we also have an inmate organization, which is called Anivo, and that is called the Albion New Inmate Visionary Organization, which also holds fundraisers on their own um, in the inmate population to provide donations to several organizations in the community. When I talk with folks, they are always surprised that inmate organizations give real money to community organizations. Can you talk about about that a little bit? How do the inmates decide who to give back to? How does that all work? Um, I want to say it's like a general consensus, like the Anivo group. They're the ones who are in charge of and, um, where the donations go and how they go and um hold these fundraisers, what kind of fundraisers they're going to hold amongst the inmate population. And then I'm assuming they go and they just vote on it amongst themselves. And that's how the decision is normally made. But they give to so many organizations. So each year it can change yearly. It can change monthly, whatever, you know, their aim is for that time of the year or whatever. That's, that's normally what they do. We're chatting with Correctional Superintendent's Assistant, CSA, Michelle Tharp. She uh, works at SCI Albion. I always tell folks the CSA, the Superintendent's Assistants, they kind of are the catch-all for everything that needs to be done at the jail. You guys are the, the folks that, that keep the lights on and keep things running. Um, is there any other staff out there that you really um, makes you proud or, or that you want to give a shout-out to while you have a chance? I wouldn't say anyone in particular. I would have to say all of our staff here. And just for their dedication and knowledge that they possess, um, especially the contact staff who work inside the fence, uh, their jobs can be very challenging to perform, and they do it, let alone the safety risks they may encounter on a daily basis. And I personally feel without our staff here at this facility, um, we would be not able to operate as efficiently as we do. Talk about efficiency. That's, I think, a big part of your job. What is your favorite part about being a CSA? It's it's never a dull day. It's always busy. It's always something different. Um, you're never coming into work and doing the same thing over and over again. There's, It's always going to be something different, and you never know what's going to happen during the day. We appreciate Mr. Grillo and Ms. Tharp for their insight into their facilities. We'll be back again next month with a deep dive into two more SCIs. Make sure to subscribe to the Pennsylvania Prisons and Parole podcast so you know when new episodes are available. You can stay up to date on all of our facilities by following us on social media at CorrectionsPA on Facebook, X, and LinkedIn. On behalf of executive producer Kurt Vope, thank you for listening. Until next time.